I love that we are together, ready to dive into the word. And honestly, Genesis and Exodus, I can't even say how many times I just think about and reflect on all the teachings and the things that we've been just diving into as God has been revealing such incredible truths. And so today we once again get to dive into the incredible life of Moses and he is extraordinary. And so I just want to also give a little heads up before I begin that we're going to do a really short exercise at the end of this teaching together, an active exercise. So have a highlighter or a pen and paper ready, actually a pen and paper too, because you're going to be writing something down and um, or highlighting in your Bible. It's just a, a neat way we're going to just look at a piece of scripture. So have that ready. I'll let you know when it's time. You won't miss it. I'll set you up. It'll be right for near the, the end of uh, my teaching. But uh, let's start with our May memory verse. And it's such a powerful one. First John 4, 15 to 19. And it says this. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. But we love because he first loved us. There is the summary of the gospel right there. We love because he first loved us and all that he's provided and done. So the heart of today, well, today we'll be studying Exodus 6, and as we move through this chapter, we can find great encouragement that just as God promised to provide and care for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in past generations, he will care and continue to care for the Israelites now. God has not abandoned them, and I love this, we keep saying this, God will keep his covenant. God will give them the land he promised in the land of Canaan. Now, in chapters three and four, Moses had many objections. And Adam Allen went through that last week. He questions who he is. He questions who God is and the fact that no one will believe him. And he has issues with his speech. And then he asks God to send someone else. I think we can all identify with Moses. We then went on to read this weekend in chapter five that Moses does go to Pharaoh and says what God commands him to do and to say, only to see things get worse. So Moses ends chapter five telling God how things are not working out and questioning God and protesting concerning his plan, why God is sending him and how it is unfolding. So the beginning now that we're going to be studying today is Exodus 6, and this starts by continuing God's answer and affirmation to Moses and to his objections. Now, God responds with the comfort of assurance. Isn't that beautiful? He responds with a comfort of assurance and is patient with Moses. He confirms his plan, his power, and that Moses is the one that he is choosing and how he will be with him. And he affirms once again, his personal name. It was difficult for Moses and for the Israelites to trust God. And just like us in the midst of really difficult times or in the season of waiting, it can be hard for us to trust God. However, God personally reveals himself to Moses and this revelation transforms him, Israel, and continues to transform us today. Now, these scriptures are to encourage us that when we feel discouraged, disqualified, 
fearful, unsure, alone, or once again, are in a season of waiting, God's promises never fail. He is the same God that was with them that is with us. So let's pray before we dive in. Father, we thank you for the promise of your word. And we thank you that you are a covenant keeping God. Thank you that your word is living and active. And we ask for you to go into the deepest recesses of our spirit and to bring light and truth. We need to be guided by you. May your word lead us. May your word be the filter that we look through life through because it truly is the way of your heart. And so God, we thank you for what you're going to do today. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for the power of your word. And we are ready for all that you want to teach us. Come Holy Spirit. We open our heart to you in Jesus name. Amen. Well, let's read right from the word. I only have one chapter again. I feel like I keep getting let off early. This is the second time I've taught and I get one chapter. Woo-hoo. So we're going to read it. So you can just take your Bible. I'm reading from the ESV. And so we're going to dive right into that. And just for a little context for my just references today. It was the ESV Bible. It also was my NLT study Bible that I use, the inductive study Bible that I have as well, that is um, an ESV. And I've been taking a few quotes from David Guzak. And so that's where we're going to land today. So let's read starting Exodus 6, verse 1. Here we go. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession, for I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now we're going to move to the genealogy. And like Pastor Jay said, I will let you read that at your own time. And I'll pull a few snippets from it, but we'll just skip ahead over to verse 26. Here we go. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, I'm of uncircumcised lips. 
How will Pharaoh listen to me? Wow, this is a power-packed chapter. So I'm going to start with verse one, and I'm just going to read some of the portions of scripture and unpack it together. So verse one, then the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do for Pharaoh. With a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh is what I want to focus on here. This is a follow-up from chapter five. Moses was discouraged and God's reply to Moses showed that he wanted Moses to know that he was in control. The phrase, what I will do to Pharaoh, you will see repeated and also used when he refers to the plagues. So it is likely this is God telling Moses that he will act. God promised that not only would Pharaoh let the children of Israel leave, but that Pharaoh would drive them out with a strong hand. This seemed impossible after Pharaoh's initial reaction to Moses. However, this message from the Lord is letting Moses know that his work will be so complete that Pharaoh will compel Israel to leave, and it truly will be a miracle. Verses 2 to 5. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I've also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians kept in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. I love that phrase. And we talked about it last week. I am the Lord. This statement to Moses, I am translates as we heard in Hebrew, Yahweh. The name emphasizes that God is the very essence of all existence, of all that is. He is a creator of all things seen and unseen. He is reminding Moses of his great name and revealing his personal name, Yahweh. God confirmed that he remains a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God who would absolutely fulfill and establish his covenant and promise to Moses and to the people of Israel. I love how Alan unpacked the name I am Yahweh. He unpacked it brilliantly last week. So go back and have a listen to his recording on Thursday, May 12th. There is so much to unpack just with that, that I don't want to take away today from not even take away. I want you to just be able to go in and mind because he just did it such a brilliant job. So listen to his teaching on that. If you haven't had a chance to do so, it was so good. We go on to see that God says, I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I love here what David Guzik said. I'm just going to quote this. He says, the patriarchs were privileged to know the God who made the covenant, but for them, the covenant was not fulfilled. The patriarchs knew God as the maker of the covenant. Moses and the generation of Exodus would now know God as the one who fulfilled his covenant. And we also see this name as we move on now in verse, in this verse that we see God almighty. It's such a beautiful word. He is God almighty. The patriarchs knew God almighty, which is translated from Hebrew as El Shaddai. Now El Shaddai means that God is enough. I love all these words of God, Yahweh, El Shaddai almighty. So El Shaddai means 
the all-powerful, the one who is sufficient. God truly is the source of all. Yahweh, the essence of all, he is also the source of all in El Shaddai. The essence seems to be on how God is being revealed and how he wants to be known. Abraham knew the name Lord, but God did not reveal himself to Abraham as Lord, his personal name, Yahweh. In light of the word to know, where the knowing is based on experiencing God and the revelation of his fulfillment of his promise, his personal revelation, it means that the patriarchs did not know him. They did not know him as the keeper and fulfiller of the covenant, as I've mentioned before, which is the major aspect of Yahweh. So we go on to suggest that the name Yahweh was not known before today with Moses in this present time. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob receives a covenant, but did not experience fulfillment of it. However, we see a consistent message now through Genesis and now into Exodus with Moses, that God always fulfills his promises, but in his time, and God is now also revealing his personal existence, his personal essence, his personal name, and that he is the source. He is Yahweh. He is God Almighty. He is El Shaddai. God reassures Moses that he is aware also of the current situation of the Israelites because he says in this verse, I have heard the groanings of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage. God personally knows the situation that the Israelites find themselves in. Doesn't this encourage our hearts? God is completely aware. He was completely aware of the cries in the midst of their suffering. And he hears and he sees and he's completely aware of ours as well. God hears us. I also love this line that we see in this verse. I have remembered my covenant. God remembers his covenant. Now, covenant was an agreement between two parties. Usually one of the parties was more superior to the other. And I love this. A covenant contained permanent pledges that were made to one another. I want to say that again, permanent pledges that were made to one another. Now, Moses was called to know, and then God is calling into remembrance his personal and permanent pledge. Isn't that powerful? He is calling Moses to know him personally. And God is now remembering, calling to remembrance, his personal and permanent pledge. We're going to come back to study at the end of our chapter together, verse one and eight. So I'm just going to dive ahead to verse nine for now. Okay. So this is going to be part of the exercise at the end we're going to do in verses one to eight. So let's skip ahead to verse nine. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. They did not heed Moses. That is a phrase I want to focus on here. After Moses spoke about what God had told him, the children of Israel were stuck in misbelief and they were miserable. They also definitely doubted the messenger of Moses. And many of us can find ourselves in the same place and find it hard to trust God and believe that he is for us. And this is why even in the New Testament, Paul says that we cannot be conformed to this world, but we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we find that in Romans 12. They had this because there was anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. Now, anguish of spirit, this translates to an inward pressure caused by severe mental, physical pain and suffering. The cruel bondage that Israel had endured had made them doubt both God and his messenger. The centuries of being slaves had made them now think like slaves instead of people of the covenant. 
Pharaoh was bigger in their eyes than God. Ezekiel 20, 5 to 9 also shows us why God was so small and Pharaoh was so big in Israel's heart during this time. This is what it says in Ezekiel. On the day I chose Israel, I swore with an uplifted hand to the descendants of Jacob and revealed myself to them in Egypt. With uplifted hand, I said to them, I am the Lord, Yahweh, your God. On that day, I swore to them that I would bring them out of Egypt into a land I'd search out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most beautiful of all lands. And I said to them, each of you, get rid of the vile images you have set your eyes on and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. But they rebelled against me, would not listen to me. They did not get rid of the vile images they had set their eyes on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. So I said I would pour out my wrath on them and spread my anger against them in Egypt. But for the sake of my name, I brought them out of Egypt. I did it to keep my name from being profaned in the eyes of the nations among whom they lived and in whose sight I had revealed myself to the Israelites. Ezekiel explains that they trusted the gods of their oppressors. They were not looking to God or listening to him, and they worshiped the gods of the Egyptians. They did not trust God and his messenger, Moses. And this is one of the reasons why God did not judge Israel at this time. One of the reasons was because he did not want his name treated with disrespect among the Gentiles. And we also see in Exodus that God remembers his covenant. He remembers the permanent pledge he had made in despite of all that was happening with the rebellious hearts of Israel. Thank God. He's a covenant keeping God. Verses 10 to 13 goes on to say, we're back in Exodus six. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of the land. And Moses spoke before the Lord saying, the children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of circumcised lips. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? Moses had approached Pharaoh and felt that he had already failed. He's now questioning God on why he should repeat it. He did not feel confident with his plan. He goes on to say, for I'm uncircumcised lips. Moses is objecting here that he's not worthy for the task. He did not feel ready. This may also refer to Moses's idea that he had a speech problem, or it may be his understanding that he was too sinful of a man to be used by God. Moses's feeling may be similar to that of Isaiah. When we read in Isaiah 6, 1 to 8, as Isaiah states that he also is a man of unclean lips. Isaiah knew that he was the sinner in God's presence, but God was more than willing to deal with Isaiah's unclean lips and with Moses' uncircumcised lips. Both felt unworthy to be used by a holy God and especially as a spokesman for him. God will also deal perfectly with the things in our lives that hinder us from being used by him. He is simply asking for a willing, surrendered, submitted, and obedient heart. It goes on to say, then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command. God wanted Moses to simply obey, to look at God and God alone, for he was, as we have said, El Shaddai, more than enough, all sufficient, our source, and would be Moses' source. Verses 14 to 25, you can read this on your own, as we've said, but I want to pull out a few things in verse 16. It says, the sons of Levi, according to their generations. 
Now, the genealogy stops in this passage of scripture here to focus on the tribe of Levi to preserve the family history of Aaron and Moses. Now, the tribe of Levi and their future families would be given specific duties in the service of the Lord in his tabernacle. And verse 20 in the genealogy says that she bore him, Aaron and Moses. Now, this passage not only tells us the ancestors of Moses and Aaron, but also some of Aaron's descendants. So this is very important, having to do with the tribe of Levi and how we're going to see this now unfold coming into Exodus, but also into Leviticus and Numbers. We're going to see this unfold. So this portion of scripture is important because a priesthood will eventually come from the family of Aaron and will be passed down to his descendants. So it's important that we know who his descendants were. Now, we're moving ahead now to verses 28 and 30, and it says this, And it came to pass on the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh heed me? And God says, Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. I love that line. God previously commanded Moses to speak to Pharaoh. After the first disappointing experience, Moses now hesitates in his obedience. And he states, but I'm of uncircumcised lips. God is going to use Moses despite Moses' experience. And despite how Moses feels he can be used of God, God is going to move in this unexpected time in this unexpected place, through an unexpected person, in an unexpected way. Now, I would love us, as we're talking about God using Moses, I want to just go back and want to personalize a little bit of the scripture today. We're going to be getting into a lot of the theology, and there's going to be a lot coming in the scriptures ahead. But I just thought I would change it up just for a moment this morning and just dive in a bit devotionally. And as we're taking in the knowledge and the truth of God, I would allow the Lord to bring a fresh revelation of the scripture as we look at the practical application today in your life. So I want you to take your pen and paper or your highlighter. If you feel comfortable highlighting your Bible, and I want to look back at verses one to eight, and then I'm going to finish up with a following just segment of what God promises to do. This is something I learned many years ago in my study as I would study the word of God and the knowledge of the word of God is so critical. We have to understand what God is telling us, the study of God's word. However, we also have to be able to apply God's word and to activate what God is saying to us and how we can walk that out. I want you to take a moment, and as I slowly read verses 1 to 8, I want you to highlight all the actions of God, what God is saying he is going to do. And I love doing this in Scripture. When I've studied the Word of God, I will stop and I will look back at the portion of Scripture that I've just studied and dove into And I will say, okay, God, I'm going to do a bit of a devotional in my life today. I'm going to look at what are the actions, the actual movement of your presence and your power that you are showing me in your word. So I want you to underline or write down every time you say, I will, okay, or what you see God saying he's going to do. This is what my paper does. There's going to be two columns. So one column, I want you to write, God will. You're going to do this after. You might do this now quickly and quickly with pen, or you might just highlight it, but I'm going to show you what to do after because I just want this to come alive. It's really powerful. So I will. So let me read through 
And I want you to write down everything God said he's going to do or highlight it. Here we go. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. This is so powerful. And this is what God wants to do for you personally in your life. So I want to encourage you after our teaching today, I'm going to just finish up with the summary of the seven I wills of God. But I want you on that to write down, it takes some moment to write down all the things that God has said. And for an example, one column, God wills, and your column, I will. And when I do that, for an example, for this type of scripture, I would say, God speaks, God reveals himself, God moves, God appears, God makes himself known, God establishes this covenant, God gives the land, God hears my groaning. I will just go through everything God is showing me who he is. And then in the opposite, I'll do, I will speak his words. I will obey. I respond to what God is saying. You know what usually happens? God's list is this big and my list is this big. And we realize everything that God does is supernatural because he's a source in the essence. And what is he asking for me? Obedience, surrender, repentance, confession, just all of that. And it's so beautiful to say, all of this you've promised to be. So I want to encourage you in your times with the Lord, when you're reading a scripture to look at the actions of God, and then to look at how God is asking you to respond. And it's usually, he's not asking you to walk out and you do this. You drive this out. You rescue yourself from bondage. He's saying, I'm going to rescue you. And our obedience is God, I submit, I repent and I come and I submit. So do that exercise today as I wind down. But I just want to take a moment to just bring that, that this is meant to be also personal. Knowledge is amazing, but we've got to also have it go deep into our spirit and transform us. so We can lay hold today of the I wills of what God has promised each of us. So I want to just close with the verses specifically in verse six to eight, as we talk about the seven I wills. And I had you do this exercise. So it's personal and seeing the action of God, because all through scripture, make known, circle the actions every time you see God acting, because this is God loves to move. He wants you to see his movement. 
that he is present. He was present then as Yahweh. He's present today. Time is all contained within God. He is with you. And so now we're going to see the actual action of God. We're just going to pack it in the last two to three minutes that I have. He says, therefore, I'm going to just go through them. The first I will in verses six to eight, because we just read this together was, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians concerning the Israelites. I'm going to unpack this. They need, had an immediate need for rescue and relief from the oppression of slave labor. The Hebrew word translated, bring you out implies that they will be physically moved from one place to another. This is God indicating that they will leave Egypt and go to the promised land. That's the first promise of God of, I will, he will bring them out. The second I will, there's going to be seven. I will deliver you. God is going to deliver them from their bondage. And he is reinforcing the first I will. The word for deliver can also be stated as snatched away. I love that. God is going to snatch them the way. He's going to physically move them from one place to another. It is a physical separation from danger and oppression. God promises here that the Israelites will be separated from Egyptian slavery. The third I will. I will also redeem you. God goes on to say that with an outstretched arm and with great judgments, God describes how he will accomplish this bringing out and how he will redeem them. The word redeem is the same used in the book of Ruth to describe a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer is someone who acts as a guardian of the family and looks out for the family's interests. And you can read more about this in Ruth 3. Here, the Lord is the one acting as a redeemer of Israel. He is bringing salvation, acting powerfully to bring salvation for his people. The fourth, I will, I will take you for my people. The Hebrew is literally, I will take you to me as a people. God will deliver them, but now they now belong to them. He's delivering them, but he's saying, I'm delivering, but you belong to me. This is similar to Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 7, 23, where he tells the Corinthians, you are bought with a price. You are not your own, asserting that Christians belong to him because of what was done at the cross. The fifth, I will, I will be your God. God again declares that he is Yahweh and it is by this name Yahweh that he will be known to Israel as a deliverer from slavery, their slavery in Egypt. God continues to confirm his covenant. The sixth, I will, I will bring you. God is promising to bring them to the land which he swore to the to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Hebrew word for I swore is literally, I raised my hand. This states that the Lord took a solemn oath to give them the land. God will give the promised land to Israel. He has given a solemn oath and he gave a covenant, which is a permanent pledge. Woo. The seven I will, I will give it to you for a possession. God will give the promised land to Israel and he will bring them to the promised land and give it to them. And this is part of the covenant promise of God. In summary, these are the seven I wills. He, will, he promises, I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will take you. I will be your God. I will bring you to land and I will give it to you. Woo! In Jesus name, amen. God will. He is a covenant keeping. He keeps his oath and he has pledged a permanent promise. He is and a pledge. He is phenomenal. Awesome. Yahweh, El Shaddai, God Almighty. 
So let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for the promises of your word. Right now, we thank you that we can take these words and we thank you that you promise to be with us. You promise to deliver us, redeem us. You promise to take us out, even in spiritually, to take us from one place to another. Our circumstances also may go from one change to another, but if they don't, God, that is not dependent on what our spirit may do. You have promised you promise to transform us, God. So we thank you that you are doing a transformative work in us. We rely on you. We thank you for all that you are, all that you've promised to be. You are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And we surrender to your mighty hand. And we believe and we lay hold of your promises and who you promise to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.